All right, here we go. In three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to the special COVID-19 edition of PRMC On Point. I'm Roger Fallabout, Strategic Communications Director for Peninsula Regional Medical Center and the Peninsula Regional Health System. On the program with us today is Dr. Chris Snyder. Chris is the Chief Quality Officer at PRMC, and he's also the Chief of the COVID Response Team at PRMC. Chris, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Good to be here. So I start every program these COVID days by asking my guests, how you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. Um, I think we're prepared. We're ready. Um, different than it was a month ago in our hospital, um, to say the least. So uh, kind of a surprising month of uh, Easter to celebrate this uh, unfortunate situation we're in. But, we're, you know, we're doing good with it. We're, um, we're preparing. We're living every hour like it was uh, uh, an hour that we never saw before. And that's Unique. So usually doctors and nurses, we're pretty in control, even of the worst chaotic situations. But um, this situation, uh, we're, we're learning a lot. So um, and I can't tell you what I've learned in the last four weeks. It's unbelievable. I heard you describe it one time as being a first year med student again and trying to figure out what was going on. It is. It's, um, you know, the first time I took care of a heart failure patient, I had to learn from my resident, junior resident students and attendings. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I've been in practice 25 years and, uh, you know, I've seen a fair amount of heart failure now. So I know what to do with heart failure when I see it. Um, you know, typically when you hear hoofs of a horse, it's not a zebra. Uh, in this case, every day, every hour, every minute's a zebra. And it's really difficult for us to explain that as professionals who are exposed to know so much about this information. And COVID's just, uh, it's a zebra. Um, sounds like a horse, but it's a zebra, and I, I promise you we are learning it, so we're getting better at taking care of it. It's good to hear. Tell me about your role, your COVID role at PRMC. What do you do? Yeah, so um, they've given me kind of a joking name of the czar. Um, so I kind of oversee the response of the system um, to uh, from the clinical side uh, to ensure that we have everything we need to do. So my specialized providers in, in uh, uh, internal medicine, critical care, pulmonary medicine, and infectious disease, along with all other specialties, have have what they need to do their job. Along with our our medical our uh, patient care services staff too, including nursing, respiratory therapy. So. Um, I'm kind of the guy that uh, when something's not happening, I, I get it to happen. Um, providers don't have much time to come off the front line when your hands are elbow deep into a problem with a patient. You don't really have time to, to get the equipment, move patients, whatever. So um, I'm doing whatever I got to do to help those guys out to be as proficient and efficient as they can and safe, too. Yeah, we're taping this on the 16th of April. And as you know, things change almost hourly with COVID. Where do you think we are in the timeline of this thing? Well, I, I started this journey outside the emergency room in a tent. So, um, and now we're starting to work on discharge planning and working with our local nursing home. So, we've it's been a journey to get from that intake process to the uh, exporting of patients to to their facilities they need to go to or to home, um, getting instructions right, getting uh, all the all the level of cares right, and now actually helping people who have survived the disease, which we're we're seeing a pretty good result with, um, compensate or or deal with their, their leftover issues. We don't even know what this causes long-term. So, um, so every day is a, a different story from a different patient, from a different setting. You've said a number of times we're not at the peak yet. It's coming. What's it going to look like when we get there? Uh, I hope it doesn't look like New York. Um, we're a much less populated area, um, but we're, we're seeing sheds of New York. Uh, we get, get uh, runs almost every dinner time night. 
It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's interesting. In the mornings, it's very quiet in the hospital, but by dinner time, we're ramped up and we're seeing you know eight to ten COVID patients a day uh, that we're determining whether they need to stay with us and get a higher level of care, or they can go home safely and be monitored, uh, self-monitoring and quarantining at home. And we pretty much converted the entire Layfield Tower to a COVID tower, correct? So we've shut it down. It's um, the tower is amazing. In fact, uh, in 07, I think we built that right um, somewhere around there. That's correct. Yeah, I think we opened in 09, maybe. Yeah. So that was during the Ebola phase, and and honestly. Um, the folks who did it then, and I was here, but wasn't a part of that, but uh, the building that building to be a negative pressure building was a godsend for what we're going through right now. We're, we definitely had to do a lot of conversion in the last three or four weeks, but uh, but really the foundation with that building being isolated from the rest of the hospital, actually the rest of the world with uh, negative pressure ventilation was huge. That was a huge call. So um, a lot of hindsight into that. Forward thinking, um, early on in this, we realized we're gonna need more ICU space. We took a conference center that was on the ground floor of that Layfield Tower and turned it into a 43-bed ICU. How incredible was that? Yeah, you know, the, from the construction workers to the architects to the engineer, unbelievable to see their movement and them listen to everything that the clinicians would, would suggest. Um, I don't think they ever said no. And, you know, I mean, we asked them to do some of the most impossible things I think we've ever asked them to do, down to the wire literally uh, an hour before we, we needed uh, our, some of the power worked on for lighting. Uh, to be attached to the generator and literally never said no. They just got it done. So, um, you know, the team got together. We worked together. Um, then the clinicians took over and um, ramped it up and got it ready in three days for, for our first patient to be moved down at uh, 6 p.m. that evening. So um, it, w- it was quite an amazing task to see that uh, happen in two weeks. In fact, I would pretty much call it close to the closest miracle I've ever seen. I think it's remarkable. And, and I still, it rocks me back on my heels to think, we're in a conference center, and you guys are providing care in a specialized critical care unit. What are the challenges for you there, or is it functioning just like any other ICU in the building? Yeah, you know, I'd love to see Tom Brady walk on a soccer field and play football. Yeah, how about so it? So that's what it's like. We, we've thrown a new environment at our team, and, and they've adapted and made changes. And um, uh, it's it's now becoming uh, only 48 hours out. It's becoming a well-run machine already. Um, and we're extubating patients and sending them up to the upper floors. So um, it's running uh, the way it should be running. Um, and we're going to do nothing but get better and more efficient with it as we have more patients. For sure. Testing and testing supplies, let me take you down that path. I know you wanted to be able to do that yesterday. That's still not happening. Why? I think there's a supply need, and we're unfortunately low on the totem pole when it comes to that. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're a much smaller center, less population. We have less cases than a lot of other places in the country. Um, I get that. Uh, unfortunately, we're a regional trauma center, or fortunately for everybody else. Um, we are a regional center. We're a tertiary care center. We're a big house in a little town, um, and we are able to care for people at the same level Johns Hopkins and Maryland does. So, you know, thinking of that, uh, you know, we, we have resources we need, and I, I know our CEO and uh, board and everybody else on the upper levels of our staff are doing the best they can, but uh, uh, it's a challenge, um, and we're not alone. I mean, uh, you look at New York, they're, they're finally getting resources, and uh, starting to get a handle a little bit on what they're doing up there. Um, we're trying to be proactive so we don't have a New York scenario, and that's uh, really been uh, a miraculous event. 
Also this week, Governor Hogan made it mandatory that if we're going out to retail places, we must have face masks on, we must have our faces covered. What do you think about that? That's outstanding. So Overdue? I would have loved him to close the bridges two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, it's, uh, it's a challenge. We have a lot of community-based transmission going on right now in certain communities, and uh, we're focusing on that, working with Delaware and Nanticoke and uh, our other partners, uh, including AGH down at uh, um, Berlin. So spending a lot of time, doctors talking back and forth, but um, I think I think the mask is a great idea. I think, uh, you know, we have to protect ourselves. And if anything, it's a reminder to stay away from each other uh, and social distancing. Let's talk about those regional hotspots if we can. We're seeing a lot of COVID coming out of the poultry industry now in the in the poultry houses and also in the Haitian community. Mm-hmm. What's the reason behind that, in your opinion? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the way they transport, unfortunately, a lot of them don't have the funds to own their own vehicles. Um, so they're transporting in buses, in cars. They work very close to each other in their environment. Um, I, I think there's a significant housing uh, um, uh, element that's playing that, too, because they live in large houses. Many of them uh, are poor and come from, uh, you know, third world countries. Um, so they're trying to survive in, in the U.S. of A, working for our poultry industry. Uh, and unfortunately, you may have anywhere from five to ten uh, folks in a two or three bedroom apartment. Um, so that just weighs itself in for handing off this bug. Uh, the coronavirus loves tight quarters. It loves humans to share um, hand-to-hand contact. Uh, it's it's part of the way it spreads. So I, I think it's a big part of it. And uh, we have isolated. We are working uh, in depth with the health department, with uh, all those uh, industry leaders and in, in trying to make sure that we can focus on keeping these people safe. You and I have known each other for over 20 years now, and you've always been my wash-your-hands guy. Mm-hmm. Do you think it has taken COVID for people to finally get that message? Amen. Thank the Lord. Jimmy and I love bumping elbows. What's well, probably too close with Jimmy, though. He uh-huh. can tell them that. But, uh, <laughs> but it is. It's important. I mean, I, you know, people don't realize the vector of illness comes from your hands when it comes to infectious disease. Um, and, uh, you know, again, the more we do that, my son's a pilot, and he flies for Piedmont Airlines, and uh, he's he's kind of been a little bit, uh, I guess I've worn off of my kids with that, but uh, he's amazed now the airports, how clean they are and how people are taking their time in the restrooms coming out, um, washing their hands instead of running to the, you know, without washing their hands. And I know that that sounds like a small feat, but, um, you know, when you're witnessing these things happening right in front of your eyes and people social distancing and we're protecting ourselves from this this uh, unfortunate bug, um, you know, it really does make you believe we, we've been preaching the right thing. It's good that everybody's catching up with health care when it comes to hand hygiene. Yeah, you mentioned bumping elbows. Are we done shaking hands? Is that over? Yeah, so shaking hands, I you know, it's, it's a cordial way that we say hello. Um, and uh, I, I think it is something that we really have to consider. Um, it, it's a cultural thing. Uh, there's many cultures that bow uh, instead of you know shaking hands. What's going to be our future in this? Don't know yet to see. But right now we're not shaking hands. Yeah, I'm assuming though that hand hygiene remains with us as we go forward. Regardless, what are some of the changes you're expecting for us in healthcare when we get through this? It's already happening. Um, you know, there's more communication online. There's less visits to the ER. Um, uh, the, the visits that are coming to the ER now are really sick. Um, and, you know, again, the emergency room may have been overutilized in the past. Uh, in fact, we know it had been. Um, it's it's uh, Folks have difficulty getting access. Um, they seem to be doing well now without it. 
Um, our uh, volume of cases are going down um, for electives, and, and maybe we have a need to spread those electives out. I don't know. Um, but healthcare is definitely changing. Um, and uh, some of us feel some of it's for the best um, because of the hand hygiene things and the focus on health. And um, folks, uh, you know, again, using, using uh, non-traveling capabilities, it's amazing. our trauma's gone down. We're not driving as much. Um, curious to see what it does long-term with smoking, et cetera, because mm -hmm. folks can't get their cigarettes. Um, so don't know what the long-term effects are, but it's definitely changing what we're doing. You're a doc who had an internal medicine practice for a number of years. Talk to me about telemedicine. What do you think about that? Yeah, telemedicine's really kind of kind of a neat, uh, well, you guys all, we're doing telemedicine right now, aren't we? We are. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I think we all have to adopt differently, and, and this is forcing us to move down that road a lot quicker. Um, I've always been a firm believer, you know, you can communicate with somebody and prevent a lot of things. I know my family calls me regularly. If you don't have a healthcare provider, telemedicine is a, a great alternative. And um, I, I think there's, uh, you know, folks try to use their knowledge base to Google things. Um, that's pretty unsafe. You're better off talking to somebody who can actually give you a, uh, an answer based on some questions that you might have answered for them. So I'm all for it. I think it's wonderful. And I'm hoping it stays. Uh, it should stick. When we come into the hospital, we're checked for a number of things on the way in, routinely and regularly. Is COVID going to be one of those going forward? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Flu is, polio. Um, think about all the other ones uh, we look for uh, in folks. Um, I think COVID's definitely going to be one of these that is a uh, uh, ongoing and lifelong um, uh, immunization at some point. Um, we'll just wait to see what happens with it, but I don't think it's going anywhere. Let me get you out of here with this. How do we claw our way out of this thing, Chris? Clawing is exactly what we're doing. Um, so I, I think just letting us kind of determine the, the standard pathways and sharing that knowledge across uh, multiple um, um, facilities, uh, I think it's really important as a community, medical community and uh, a healthcare community that we, we work together to design the best possible practices for COVID. Um, the community will follow our lead. Um, I'm, I'm just um, thrilled about the out, outcries for healthcare providers and Look, I'll tell you, I've been doing this 25 years, been around a lot of people who do this. Um, this is not new for us, what we're doing right now. This is something we train for. This is something we've done all our lives. Uh, it's just about 10 times uh, what we're used to seeing. Um, so it is a bit overwhelming, but we're getting control of that. So as we get control of that, I see, you know, healthcare evolving with this. I see community evolving with this, and I see the communication uh, with patients evolving with this too. So um, we need to all learn together. Um, we're making a fair amount of mistakes too, so but that's how we learn. So um, and uh, we're we're correcting them as we go through. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Right. Yeah. Wash your hands, please. Chris, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Roger. And that'll do it for this edition of PRMC On Point. As always, if you're looking for information around COVID-19, check out our website, peninsula.org. A lot of great local information there. On a national scope, the CDC website, cdc.gov, is a great location to find information about what's going on nationally. If you have questions or concerns about COVID-19, we hope you'll take advantage of our COVID-19 hotline. We're running that with the Wicomico County Health Department, 410 6889 410-912-6889. For Chris, I am Roger, and we'll see you on the next edition of PRMC On Points.